Luttle's story is a legend, a living legend, a legend that will live long after lots of other living legends have died. Tonight, we are extremely proud to present the semi-legendary life story of the Prefab Four, Dirk, Nasty, Stig, and Barry, who made the 60s what they are today, the fabulous Ruttles. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I'm your host, Scott White. And what are we looking at this time? We're looking at the Ruttles. All you need is cash the Eric Idle vehicle. And since this is an English project, I have a very special guest, Braun Edge, all the way from Manchester, England. Braun, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Whether it's technically a British vehicle, because it was it was co-funded by uh, Lorne Michaels. It was. Yeah. Does it matter? I don't know. Uh, well, this is the, it was funded by Lorne Michael and it's the Dan Aykroyd podcast. Because Dan Aykroyd, this is what I call a sneaky Dan Aykroyd project, <laughs> because he's in the movie. It was yeah. a TV movie. He's in it for like 15, 20 seconds. They had uh, they had Bill Murray and John Belushi and Gilda Radner and Dan Aykroyd. And Dan Aykroyd had the least to do out of all of them Yeah. in this. Yeah, he just coughs. He doesn't even know. Right, yes. Means. And doesn't he do an, isn't he doing an English accent? I think he might be. He mostly coughs, though. I don't know how you'd cough in an English accent. (laughs) 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 Brian Thigh was a top record executive in London in 1962. Mr Thigh, you've been known for many, many years as the man who turned down the Ruttles. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You said that guitar groups were on their way out and would never make any money at all in the 60s. Yes, I did. You turned your back on all those millions of sales, all those hundreds of gold records. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. What's it like to be such an asshole? What? But that's why we're doing this. Braun and I know each other. We are both part of the comedy sports nation. The nation. comedy sports nation. Internation. Internation. Braun is actually a performed uh, here in the States and I and I've actually had the pleasure of going to Manchester and performing performing there as well. So we both performed in our perspective countries. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had another podcast where I had a gentleman who uh, he was from England. He lives here in the States. He has an accent. <laughs> and I just wanted to ask you this. When you're over here in the States and you talk in your accent, do people answer back in an English accent uh. to you? I mean, not everyone, but you do get it a lot. It's weird because we we have so much American culture over here, like rammed down our throats on TV and stuff. So we're maybe more used to hearing American accents than Americans are used to hearing British accents. Um, So I don't notice so much that happening over here when an American or Canadian starts talking no British person tends to go, oh, hi, how are you? Oh, my God. Like, yes, is- when I was over there, nobody did that to me. There you I go. think Thank you. somebody said once, somebody was like, oh, you're a Yank. And that was it. They just, <laughs> they just didn't care. We don't, we don't care. You don't um, care. But yeah, but in America, yeah, it does tend to happen a fair bit, like more than I would like it to. You'll be talking to someone and they go, oh, are you from England? Uh, yeah <laughs> yeah good my point. other my uh my other friends said or they would go uh good eye mate like, uh, that's not even that's not even the right uh, one that's not even the right accent that's what we used to get because I, I lived in wisconsin for a while and um that was what people people assumed i was australian rather than british i think my accents changed a lot since then it's 20 odd years ago um and I think I had quite a, a strong sort of northern, more, well, I don't know whether I do now, more northern accent, and maybe it sounded more Australian, just because they used to hear in Cockney or what we'd call RP, which is just posh. And they weren't used, they weren't used to hearing me from up north, you see. Weren't used to it. So we have the Ruddles, mm-hmm. which is a parody of the Beatles. Yep. Well, all right, let me ask you this. This is, this is Eric Idle's brainchild. He wrote, starred and co-directed it were you a monty python fan growing up yeah and weirdly i got into monty python when i lived in america because it was on comedy central constantly 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it hadn't really been on British TV while I was a child, really. So I hadn't noticed it until I moved to America and then noticed how obsessed America seemed with it, which is quite interesting. I tell you what I have been for a long time, though, is I've been a huge Neil Innes fan uh, and the Bonzo Dog Doodah band. So my link to the Ruttles is more of a Neil Innes link, really. Although I like I like the Pythons and, and Eric Idle. Um, but my, yeah, my interest is more in Neil Innes, uh, personally. I discovered Neil, he wasn't really in the TV series. No. Uh, but I discovered him when I, I watched Monty Python at the Hollywood Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he plays with them, but he does that, that great, ooh, I'm an idiot yep. on the piano. Ooh, ooh, to be an idiot. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful be song. It's, it's a beautiful piano song. And when the lyrics are, it, 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 that just sort of blew my mind when I heard that in the middle of a Monty Python show. So here's the thing about that song, uh, How Sweet to Be an Idiot by Neil Innes. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard, have you heard much Oasis? I'm not an Oasis fan. No, sorry. I'm not really. But uh, but the song, I see. I don't even know what the song is. I'm free to be whatever, I, whatever, <laughs> whatever that song is. Um, it's basically the same as "How Sweet to Be an Idiot." So, "How Sweet to Be an Idiot." How sweet to be an idiot As harmless as a cloud Too small to hide the sun Almost poking fun At the warm but insecure untidy crowd How sweet to be an idiot and dip my brain in joy Children laughing at my back With no fear of attack As much retaliation as a toy How sweet to be an idiot How sweet Anyway, so Neil and his took them to court uh and and one <laughs> yeah good for neil yeah so he is like a uh, had to be put on as a co-writer of, of that oasis song now and uh and rest his soul because obviously neil and his died last year which is very sad mm-hmm. um yeah but he was getting royalties he's probably living off of those royalties for a long time i think good for him yes yeah so this is the mockumentary of the beatles called the yeah. ruddles but what really blew my mind is I, I looked it up. Do you remember the Beatles anthology that came out in mid nineties? It was a mini series. I don't know. It came oh, out yes, I do. Yeah. I yeah. Watched it religiously. Yeah. Yes, me too. And when I watched the Ruddles, they really recapture the black and white concert yes. footage. Oh yeah. Like frame by frame, it's- frame by frame. It, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's like when I saw the, the Beatles documentary, it was like, that came out in 78, but it looks just like it did in 95. <laughs> Apparently, George Harrison let Eric Idle see some. They were working on that documentary way back in 78, and it didn't come out until 95. So right. that just blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, um, it is pretty impressive how similar they've made that, that parody footage. And even think I was watching... Um, something recently that I actually didn't know until last week. I was watching something about Ringo, uh, where he, in an interview, he talks about he wanted to be, he wanted to be a hairdresser. Um, or he wanted to own a hair salon or something. And obviously within the Russells, like that's what Barry Wom says. He said, I want to be a hairdresser, I want to be two hairdressers. <laughs> and then it's like, <laughs> so it's like taking that, that original joke that Ringo made and then making it even a, a bigger joke within the Ruttles as well. Well, the, the big joke in the Ruttles is George Harrison, who was known as 
the quiet one, yeah. the the actor who played George Harrison, who played the George Harrison part in the movie, he didn't speak. No. He didn't. I mean, they were he was singing during the songs, yeah. but he never spoke a word of dialogue. No. And so they took that the quiet one to the nth degree, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, I love that about that. I don't know why it's just made me think. I actually saw, uh, I didn't see the Ruttles. Uh, one of my friends did because they toured uh, late 90s as the Russells when they released their second album. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is really good, actually. It's very good. You but- brought up Neil. And yes. I just want to say that the music is fantastic. Oh, I know. Not yes. only is it an excellent, I don't want to say, you know, a parody of Beatles music, but just the songs themselves mm-hmm. are are just great. Yeah. That's just all on Neil. Well, I watched a doc. I don't know. <laughs> you know how it's been in the pandemic when all you do is watch documentaries all day. I watched a documentary a couple of weeks ago. In fact, it was, I think it was just an interview with Neil Innes. And he was talking about how he actually, he wrote the, the music for the Ruttles. Uh, purposely didn't listen to any Beatles songs because he wanted to just see if he could capture like the essence of each song rather than it be a pastiche or parody of a specific song. And then he took them because he and George Harrison were friends. He took them to George Harrison and played them to him. Uh, so George Harrison could effectively sign them off and say, that's far enough away that you're not going to get sued. <laughs> and there was one of them. Oh, I'd have to get this information right. I think it was get up and go. Is that what it was? And there was one. Yeah, the one that, that yeah. Too, too close. The one that yeah. was too close to uh, to the Paul McCartney. Uh, get back yeah get up and yeah. go was i think that was the one and uh yeah i think he did it he got into a legal battle about that song uh, it might have been the whole album actually there was something that he had to oh i wish i could remember the exact facts i'm sure it's something like lennon mccartney is is now on the first few of the russell's songs because they were so similar but the rest of them were fine something like that but i know like george harrison was behind was back in the whole well he's in it <laughs> yes, he's the only he's the only Beatle that's in it. Yeah, because I know him. I know he, you said uh, Neil Ines was close with uh, George Harrison, and Eric Idle was close with uh, George yeah. Harrison. Yeah, I remember hearing. I read one of uh, Eric Idle's books, and he said he took George's death worse than he took uh, Graham Chapman's death. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were really close. Yeah. I can believe that. I think they'll have had more time together as well, over you know, just just statistically. I I enjoy so the scene. So George Harrison plays an interviewer, and he interviews Michael Palin. <laughs> so I thought, so that's like the Beatles and the Monty Python here in the state. That's like the you know the, <laughs> the 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 kings of the kings of rock and roll and the kings of comedy from England yeah. together yeah. in one scene. Uh, I thought that that was very, very nice. It's one of my favorite scenes as well, because the background business that's going on, um, it's just, it's just so funny. Yeah. A bit of uh, unexpected background business. There have been continued allegations that Ruttle Corps is going bankrupt. Eric Manchester, the Ruttle's press agent, are these allegations true? No, no. No, they're, uh, they're conjecture, you know. They're, they're sort of rumour. I think you find that where you get success, you'll always find this sort of rumour. No. So the stories of the theft, they not true also? Uh, no, they're greatly exaggerated, greatly exaggerated. Uh, it's bad, you know. Things are going. But uh, nothing like the rate that, that people indicate. The trouble is that people feel that because, because these boys are the Ruttles, people can come in and just help themselves to whatever they want. And this is just not on. And we're putting a stop to this, and we are doing, you know, it, it, it's almost dried up. Uh, things have gone. I won't deny it. Television sets. The odd car belonging to the company has, uh, has disappeared. But, uh, it's not extreme, you know. Oh, I did come in once. I found that my office had been nicked. Mm-hmm. But it had been nicked by, uh, by Ron Decline, who we called in to stop this sort of, uh, flow of goods from the building. So that was all right. Mm. So once you see this stop, do you feel that Ruttle Cole will continue into the future? Absolutely. I feel that once we've put a stop to this sort of bit of petty pilfering, Ruttle Cole will last for a very, very, very... We find out that their their manager 
is obviously a, you know, obviously a pedophile because they keep, <laughs> but they're all directing it. Like they're all saying it matter of factly. It was, it was the trousers. What did he like most about the band? It was the trousers. Oh, well, of course time, I like the trousers. You know. yeah. <laughs> different time, you know. Yes, it was a different time, but all that was, <laughs> all that was stated of matter of factly. Oh, and yeah. then you get your, your first Amer Bill Murray is playing a, a, a American disc jockey and he's just yelling at the top of his lungs. So that's yeah. just sort of, you know, the, you know, the divide between English humor and American humor at the time, English was very dry and, and American, American humor was like very over the top in your face. That's another scene that is directly just ripped from footage. Um, Cause wasn't the DJ called Murray the K? I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And they just got Bill Murray to play Bill Murray the K. Yeah. Um, and the footage of, of Murray the K is, is basically exactly the same. It's just Bill Murray's changed the words of the names and that's it. But he might as well just be the same footage. <laughs> <laughs> he does such a good job. Flushing animals, what do you want to know? What do you want to hear? If you call me up at 555-2160 and say you want to hear anything but the Reynolds, I'm going to come looking for you. I mean it. Because it's Reynolds Day. They're going to be here tomorrow talking about their trousers. It's a big, big day here in Flushing. Let's give them a big round of applause. I know I can't hear you, but I know I can pick up what you're saying, baby. The scene is here in Flushing. The whole world's eyes are on Flushing because the Prefab Four are coming to town tomorrow to talk about their trousers. Well, I don't know about this. Do you know about this? No. I, yeah, I can't say how much they captured the time. <laughs> you know, they, just, they captured the Beatles at the height of their popularity. You could tell this was a passion a passion project for, for Eric Idle. Yeah. Because I think, wasn't this his first big thing apart from the Monty I Python? Did. Yeah, I think so, yeah. He'd done, um, well, there was the Python films, but this was his thing, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. It came through Rutland TV, though, didn't it? Which was the series um, that Eric Idle was part of i haven't seen much rutland tv but i've got a feeling my mom watched it um and that's where that uh interviewer character originated as well apparently uh through rutland tv well i've seen he was in a couple of monty python sketches early on uh, yeah i mean it's a very standard character to be yes it is an interviewer in a mac <laughs> and for the long i didn't the mac that's a a, a raincoat here raincoat, that, yeah I listened to a, a podcast. It's a it's a podcast done by a couple of uh, a Scotsmen about the Columbo Columbo television series. Really, and they kept they kept saying he's walking around in a Mac. He's doing this in a ah. Mac. And for the time, I didn't know what they were. Oh, a raincoat. That's what they're yeah. talking about. Okay, so yeah, you do know um, what a cigar is as well, right? Oh, I don't. <laughs> it's just a cigar. <laughs> oh, it is. Well, I thought the way you said it. <laughs> I was just going down a Columbo route. I was just checking. Oh, I thought it was like, uh, you know, a torch is a flashlight and a pram is a baby cart. There it's you like, go, yeah. <laughs> no, a, a cigar's a cigar. A cigar's a cigar. <laughs> Did this make you appreciate Eric Idle more after you saw this? Or was were you able to, now that you saw this by himself, were you able, once you watched Monty Python again, you could mm -hmm. say, oh, well, that's probably an Eric Idle thing. Could you pick out Eric Idle's sense of humor amongst the other pythons after watching his solo effort here yeah i guess i mean i actually saw eric idol live um a good few years ago now must have been eesh, maybe nearly 20 years ago um in in madison in wisconsin he did an american tour uh him doing a load of Monty Python sketches with people who weren't Monty Python. It was weird. It was a weird thing to watch, especially because most of them were not British and they were trying to do British accents. Um, and I think that was the moment I kind of looked at Eric Idle and went, um, I'm not really that bothered. <laughs> I think it's why I gravitate more towards Neil Innes in Ruttles, even though it, Eric Idle's obviously the driving force of it and he's, and he's multi-rolling in there as well. 
Um, I didn't. Uh, speaking of multi-role, hmm. he plays the interviewer and he plays Stig. Yeah. But there's also yeah. this this standalone scene where he plays this American uh, movie producer. Oh yeah. <laughs> I didn't understand that. It was. I mean, that would have been that would have been prime for a, just like to put another actor or another friend and. It's like you're yeah. already doing two roles. You're directing. You wrote it. That just seemed weird to from me. What, from what I've seen of Eric Idle, he probably just wanted to do it, and he probably just wanted to. Or they had someone else lined up who then couldn't do it, and he just went, "I'll just do it." He did an American accent. I guess I don't have the ear because <laughs> it sounded like an American accent to me. Uh, right. But I've I've talked to I've talked to people who are English, and they say that's no, that's. That's definitely an Englishman doing an American accent. <laughs> and you once told me you can spot when an American's doing an English accent. You can spot that. But you said the best Americans doing English were Spinal Tap. Fantastic. Yeah. You said that they nailed it. It's like yeah. they, they could pass as as Englishmen. I think as the years have gone on, actually, I know I, I'll have said that to you a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> more and more people are impressing me. <laughs> <laughs> oh good yeah with, with, i would uh, not be one of them i would not be one of them no. <laughs> um it's i tell you what though eric idol's liverpool accent is not great <laughs> no it's not but i was impressed uh with uh with neil and barry mm. i thought they captured uh john lennon and ringo Starr. I oh thought, yeah but you were right i didn't believe eric as paul mccartney one reason, as you said, for the accent, and two, it's clear that Eric is not left-handed because when he's playing that bass, it looks really awkward when he's playing that bass <laughs> yeah, left-handed. It's like he's doing as best as he can, but it's like he is not he's left-handed. Barely even touching it. He doesn't. Play, yeah. <laughs> like I don't think he plays well. He obviously is a musician as well, Eric Idle. He, yes. Music, but I think he's a pianist. I don't know how much he plays guitar. I mean, certainly, like you said, definitely not left-handed bass. <laughs> he's given it his all he's given it his all <laughs> but the guy who played Ringo I thought because oh, Ringo drummer. has a very distinct way of playing the drums yeah he does he, yeah. he plays the drums but uh well the guy uh what's John Halsey uh he plays Barry Wommy he's a drummer yeah yeah that's what I was going to say earlier so I I haven't seen the Ruttles live but I have seen Neil in his live a couple of times and uh and he usually has John Halsey with him on drums he's like part of his band so you would get a few Ruttles songs in the mix because two of them were there. So uh, that was that was really, really joyous to see. Especially because I went to watch them once with my ex-husband and he, uh, the reason we met really was because we both liked Bonzo Dog Doodah band. And for most people, you'd say that that band and they'd go, what did you just sneeze? <laughs> what did you just say? Um, so we went to watch them and, and we both knew all of the Bonzo songs that he did, but uh, I knew the brutal songs. I was so excited because I, like, I didn't think we were going to get brutal songs. Uh, so that was just joyous. Now, wasn't the Bonzo band on Don't Adjust Your Set? Uh, yeah, uh, they did a few different things like that, but yeah, they were on mm. that. And um, they were also in, if you want another link to the Beatles, they were in Yellow Submarine. Not Yellow Submarine, sorry. They were in Magical Mystery Tour. They're the band in Magical Mystery Tour where they go to the strip club. <laughs> in this movie, they parody all the Hard Day's Night, Help, Magical Mystery. And this, the, the, the parodies of the movie. Uh, I, Eric Idle must have, or who, uh, whoever did this, it was like they, they nailed it. Yeah. Like the, uh, the cartoon, um, yeah, brilliant. Yellow Submarine Sandwich. I think it, they just it, got the same people. They might have. <laughs> I think they did for that. They went so far as to get one person to do all the voices on that clip as well. Which okay, I was going to ask you that because in the movie, the Beatles make an appearance at the end, but that's not the Beatles doing the... No. Doing the so, so now I'm even more impressed that they went to the fact that they didn't do their own voices. In, you can, well, this is my assumption, but listen to it, and it literally sounds like one person going, I'm going to say this. Now I'm gonna say this, and now <laughs> this thing—it's like it just sounds like the same person doing doing those lines, and that's that was the level of. If it's not, then they've missed a trick. But I'm pretty convinced it was just one person doing that. I th I would think that the way Eric Idle thinks, that's probably what happened. <laughs> yeah. If he got so many nuances down, he had to. 
Yeah, I thought that. Yeah, or we're giving yeah. way too much credit and everything's been luck. They got Paul Simon and uh, Mick Jagger. I will fantastic. admit, he was. I now I will admit, sometimes I had uh, trouble understanding Mick's accent. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> it's just the way he talks. Like he talks with his, it's like he's swallowing something. It's not just his accent. It's okay. It's really odd way of talking. <laughs> we were living in, you know, squalor. We didn't have any money, and we saw these. There were the rattles on the TV with girls chasing, and we thought, this can't be that difficult, so we thought we'd have a go ourselves. First time at the rattles, they came down to see us at, at, at Richmond, and they uh, and we were just completely a number, you know, and they, and they all suddenly, they were standing there in their black suits. they just come off uh, a TV show, and uh, they were just standing there sort of checking us out, the opposition. And then they introduce themselves, you know, Dirt, Stig, Nasty, Barry. But they were very nice, you know, because uh, they'd heard about us, you know, because we were the South's answer to the rattles, you know, at that time. What Ron and I'll do is probably to write some songs, you know, and sell them to people. We tried to write some for the, uh, the Rolling Stones, and they're probably going to buy them. The one for that was Dirk, really. He was a real hustler for the songs, I think. You know, always wanted to sell a song, you know, for any demand, any old slag, you sell a song to write one, sit up. Okay, they came down, they came down and we were trying to rehearse and they said, do you want a song? We said, yeah, we're always really open for songs. Because we didn't write our own. And of course the Rattlers were always well known for their hit making potential, ability. Right. And so they ran around the corner to the pub to write this song and came back with it and played it to us. And um, it was horrible. And so we never bothered to record it. But he was he was very funny. And Ron Wood, they actually had more Rolling Stones in this <laughs> than they did Beatles, because Ron Wood makes an appearance in That's this. That's right. Interviewed yeah. by George Harrison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they were really good friends as well, so... Yeah. So let me ask you this. Were there any famous, like, British character actors... Oh, are, yeah. are any of the actors in the movie known for something uh, besides this movie? Definitely. Let me get, oh, hang on, let me get the names because I'll just, I'm really bad with names. I'm going to actually just pull them up. Uh, yeah, there's a, a woman in there. I'm just going to look at all these. Where is she? She's, she played like one of the two main parts and she's not even in the, the big list. Dreadful. Uh, well, I'll talk about. Barry Cryer first, who had a little cameo in there as well. He's um, He is an absolute just national treasure. He plays, who does he play? He plays one of the managers towards the end of something with like a bald head. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember what character he plays. But he is uh, a long-time writer of comedy, like 60s, 70s, 80s. Like, he's still going now. He must be nearly 90. Um, but he's hilarious and had a little part in that is he the one that's do you say he's bald yeah it's like obviously fake bald though okay is it the one where he's like well of course i like the trousers i think it was that one yeah yeah because i was in the garment industry um (laughs) gwen taylor was the other okay she um did loads of sitcom in the uk Really, really famous and really, really funny. Um, but I don't think ever really did anything in America. So that that's probably the only thing. I didn't recognize any of the uh, the older uh, British actors or actresses in there, and I was just wondering because I know the the Carry On movies are very good, uh, very <laughs> uh, 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 are very uh, big over there, and they never yeah. they never caught over here. On the, the you ask, you say Carry On over here in the states, people don't know yeah. what you're talking about. No, it's I'm not surprised it didn't really catch on. It's if you if you're listening and you're like, what's a Carry On movie? There were thirty of them, and they started in the late fifties, and they went up to nineteen eighty, and then they did like a random one in the nineties that was awful. The random one in the nineties does that have Rick Mayo in it? I yes, think Rick it does. It, yeah, it does. Yeah, but it's dreadful. Um, <laughs> I would never recommend to watch it. Um, but yeah, it's like bawdy, bawdy humor, cheap, mm-hmm. bit cheeky. Um, Along the line, I guess the closest 
that Americans may identify it to is uh, Benny Hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know any American, actual American produced stuff that that it would even come close. Like nothing's ever grabbed me as similar. <laughs> No, it's like in the 80s. Yeah, Animal House and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. in the 80s, we had like Porky's and like yeah. sex comedies. But those are all feature. Those are all uh, uh, teenagers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This these, uh, the carry on <laughs> movies are all like middle aged men and women. It's, That's true. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because I, I know we're not talking about the carry ons, but I am a huge carry on fan. And the first the first 10 of them are not even like that, but they're most they're they're, they're just pretty standard british comedies but as the 70s rolled in they started getting more naughty and and yeah and be, and finally just became sex comedies by the end uh, and that's when it died really it just lost it lost itself well in the 70s we had a lot of um sexy stewardesses and we had like old time uh comedians from the 50s and these old men these old comedians <laughs> We're in these movies with these the, the, with these young women, and it's just it's just hard to watch. It first of <laughs> all, it's creepy, and second of all, it's like these guys who were comedy royalty in the fifties and sixties are now in these low budget sex comedies. Yeah. It's like yeah. wow, you don't want, they had to end their you know end their yeah. career like that. I watched one last night actually called Spanish Fly, British one, uh, made in nineteen seventy. 76 it's like late 70s like they're getting too late for this sort of thing and it was just ridiculous like people who in like the 50s were doing like these suave characters now just just trying to get off with 20 year olds yeah but you know (laughs) here's the here's one thing i've like being a 50 i'm 51 i'm 52 in a month or two it's like dating a 20 year old would just seem like so much work it was (laughs) I don't want to put that much work into it. <laughs> I think that's going to end up on your gravestone, isn't it? Really? Yes. 20-year-olds <laughs> are a lot of work. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think. We've we gone off on a tangent about just sex comedies, I guess. That's, that's fine. <laughs> Is there anything that you uh, didn't like in the movie? This might be stretching it a bit, and maybe I'm reading more into it, but... Uh, so the the character in the movie who played Brian Epstein was clearly, if not a not a pedophile, but somebody who liked young boys. Yeah. And I was just wondering. It was like, am I reading too much in it? That you know, could they? Could people like say? Did that mean that they thought that Brian Epstein was like that? Or <laughs> it, like I like I said, it might be a stretch. Might be over over analyzing the character. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess I hadn't really looked at it like that. Because because they don't try and play off that character as being like Epstein at all. No. I, I guess if you were to really like um, write it out, it does seem like they're saying something quite awful. <laughs> I, I hadn't made that connection, so hopefully no one else did, and hopefully that wasn't their intention. Well, now we brought it up. And I don't... <laughs> now it's out there. I mean, it's been years, and nothing has ever... Nothing has ever come out in public that he was like that, Brian Epstein. I don't think I don't think that was uh, the case. Uh, that's just uh, nitpicking. Yeah, it doesn't uh, go with the namesake. I don't think everyone with that surname has to be uh, <laughs> a pedophile. Yes. <laughs> out of all the Saturday Night Live characters that were there, and might this might be another little nitpick. It's like uh, Gilda Radner is in there. Yes. And Eric Idle ends up slapping her. Uh, <laughs> she's wasted in that I, I i would have preferred to see her play an actual character that was involved somewhere i think it's it, it's really nice she's in it and that slap bit's kind of funny because it just like it, it actually it empowers her after it's happened because then she takes yeah. that interview who were the ruttles i don't know Come on, you must know. No, I'm sorry, I don't know. Oh, yes, you do know. No, well, I don't know. Who are the Ruttles? I don't know. You do know. No, I don't know. You do know the Ruttles, you know. I don't know who they are. Who are the Ruttles? Please tell us. I'm sorry, I don't know who they are. Who are the Ruttles? I don't know. You do know. I don't. You do know. Who are the Ruttles? I don't know. Who are the Ruttles? 
The Runnels were a mop-top English pop quartet of the 60s who set the foot of the world to tapping with their catchy melodies, their wacky Liverpool humor, and their zany off-the-wall antics, epitomized in such movies as A Hard Day's Rut and Ouch. Dirk and Nasty, the acknowledged leaders of the group, were perfectly complimented by Stig, the quiet one, and Barry, the noisy one, to form a heartwarming, cheeky, lovable, talented, non-Jewish group who gladdened the hearts of the world. Thanks, in 1962, they played The Cavern. After that, they spent several months in Hamburg. Yes, thank then, you very much. In 1962, they released their first Thanks. single, Twist and Run. Yes, thank you very They're much indeed. Thank you very much indeed. Will you shut up? But I don't know. It just felt like it felt like a way to just cram Gildner Radner into it, as opposed to like uh, as an important. Yeah, point. you're right because because uh, John Belushi, Bill Murray, and Dan Aykroyd are all playing characters. Yeah, and it just seems like Gilda is just playing Gilda. She's not. Yeah. You know, she's not doing. She wouldn't even have to do one of her famous characters. Just, you know, she was a brilliant comedian. You know, any character that she would have done. Because she died young. And after Saturday Night Live, we don't, she didn't do a lot of movies. So there's not yeah. a lot of, there's not a lot of stuff out there with Gilda in it. So just mm-hmm. to see her was, was very, very nice. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I wish they'd have used her more. That's all. But then you could probably say that about mm-hmm. a lot of female comedians in this. The model that uh, Eric Idle marries in the movie Bianca Jagger. is Bianca Jagger. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. The Yoko Ono character is played by a small Nazi woman in this yes, movie. Yes, Gwen Taylor again, because she plays two parts. She plays um, the mom of the manager who talks about the tight trousers. And I thought that. I love that. Oh. Just the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed her delivery. Oh yes, it's such a northern. um, She's playing a northern character there, and it's such a northern delivery of like, oh yes, oh yes. It's like we don't really want to say it, but we'll say it. It's that sort of thing, and uh, like, again, for like an American, for for stuff you might have seen in America like that, Wallace and Gromit's probably the closest example I'd give for that sort of delivery. Um, well, he told me that he'd uh, been to see these young men in a dark cellar. Yes. He was always very interested in young men. Oh, yes. Youth clubs, Boy Scouts, that sort of thing. Well, yes, yes. But um, these, he said, were different. In what way? Well, um, the hair and uh, the presents, the music. He liked it? No, he hated it. Well, what did he like? Well, um, uh, the trousers. What about their trousers? Well, they were, uh, they were very, um, tight. Tight? Yes, you could see quite clearly. Oh, I see. Everything. Outlines. Clear as day. Yes, yes, thank you. Yes. So, tight trousers and nothing noise. left to the imagination. Yes, thank you. No, she's great. Honestly, she's done so much. It's a shame no one in America could really know who she is. Loads of sitcom stuff over here. And and playing two parts, and you wouldn't even necessarily recognize her because she's. No, no. Um, yeah, she does such a good job at both those parts, you wouldn't know. What was uh, Neil Enos's? He was. Ron? What was his? Dick. Dirk. Nasty, isn't it? Dirk Nasty. Well, he's in the shower with Ron Nasty. So he's in the shower with a Nazi. You know, they're parroting the bed and they're in the shower. But he's like, we're in the we're in here for peace. So he's talking about peace sitting next to a woman in a full Nazi uniform. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Also, it's just occurred to me that we said, yeah, we got confused with names. Stig O'Hara is the George Harrison-esque character and Dirk McQuigley is Eric Idle's character. I think we said Stig earlier. Maybe. I mean, it's easy to, to be honest, you don't even really notice their names because you just know who they're trying to be. Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's, George, it's John Paul, George and Ringo. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's who you look at it when you're watching this movie. That's how you, that's how you see it. <laughs> you asked me if there were any bits that I didn't like. Uh, and I don't know if there are. I think... The bit with Gilda Radner annoys me a little bit because it felt crowbarred. But that's probably the only bit that really jumps out. I actually, I, I really like, the ending can seem a bit like a letdown, but when it's put in context of the time, I actually really like it because 
it was it was two years before John Lennon died. So they're all mm-hmm. still alive at this point when this came out. And yes. the imagining of what they all went on to do, especially watching, like, I only watched this the other week, in 2020, what what all the Ruttles, in inverted commas, aka the Beatles, went on to do after the Beatles and the Ruttles or whatever. It's really fun to watch. And then, obviously, with time that's passed, you can kind of parallel, like, oh, well, what actually happened? And... Yeah, I mean, they didn't predict two of them getting killed. <laughs> well, one <laughs> killed and one dying, but you know. One died and George was stabbed That's, in his manor. That's yeah, right. he was attacked and stabbed in his manor. He was. So he <laughs> here's another random story about George Harrison. After that happened, he put up a load of extra security around his house, as you'd expect. Uh, and nearby, uh, a British uh, sitcom comedian called um oh god why i always forget his name and i shouldn't because um uh, rodney buse right so a uh, sitcom actor called rodney buse lived the, the the article i read said next door but obviously george Hanson, uh, george harrison had a mansion which is huge so um i don't know how next door you can be but anyway once he put up all this extra security rodney buse's cat tried to climb on his fence apparently <laughs> And hurt and hurt itself, and so Rodney Buse like tried to sue George Harrison for hurting his cat, uh, and went to the papers with it. Also, it's just ridiculous. But that's the sort of person Rodney Buse was. Do you think he did it for a ten? Was he? Was yeah. he? Uh... <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah. So, so he was. Was he not at the top of his game or the top oh, of his no. fame when this happened? Was <laughs> no. it... this, oh, this... yeah. So this was definitely a a publicity. I um I actually wrote a short play uh with my partner Sean about this guy and uh we had to research him and he's actually quite it's quite sad. Like he, he had this massive hit in the sixties and seventies with this sitcom and then really nothing since like he did some he did some theatre and things like that, but nothing whereas the other person that was in it went on to do loads of stuff and got really mega famous. And so I think he just never really recovered from that. Is this what, is this sort of a wham deal? With George Michael <laughs> yeah. and, uh, yeah. And yeah, uh, the I'd, other I'd guy. Put it like that. Yeah. The other guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rodney Buse was the other guy. <laughs> you never want to be the other guy. <laughs> the episode I just put out was Casper, which also has Eric Idle in it. Casper, and... like the, the film. Yes. Oh, I've never really seen that. I've seen bits of it. Yes, Dan Aykroyd is in it as Ray Stance, a Ghostbuster. Yes, I knew that. That's the only bit I've seen. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and just well, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil. If, if somebody if somebody listens to this and wants to listen to that, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> Fair enough. But I did that with one of my friends, and I asked her that. So, do you have a favorite Eric Idle sketch from Monty Python or any of the movies? I really like. Uh, Life of Brian, I think that's very clever, uh, as well as being very silly. Yeah, I, mean, I remember watching Life of Brian for the first time, and I was probably a bit younger than I should have been when I watched it, because there's like full frontal male nudity in that. But, you know, I live I live in Europe. Um, and and it just, it just striking me as being, oh, that's quite clever. You know, what they've done, just like subverting this idea. Even as, even as a young child going, oh, I get it. I get what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my dad's name's Brian. So I think um, we, yeah, you know, that there was a link there as well. Um, my favorite Python was Terry Jones. So I don't really have, like nothing's jumping to mind of like Eric Idle sketches because I just, he was just kind of there for me. I tell you what, I really like That's cool. tune to One Foot in the Grave which he wrote, which was a, a long-running sitcom in the UK, but Eric Idle wrote the theme tune for it and sang it. <laughs> now, what's the One, name of the show? One Foot in the Grave. Hello? They say I might as well face the truth But I am just too long in the tooth I started to deteriorate And now I've passed my own cell by date Tune. And my old knees have started to knock. I've just 
just got too many miles on the clock So I'm a wrinkly, crinkly, set in my ways It's true that my body has seen better days But give me half a chance and I can still misbehave One foot in the grave And it's about an old, an old curmudgeonly guy who's been forced to retire. That's the premise, really, and uh, and he doesn't <laughs> ever get anything right. Uh, but yeah, the the theme tune um, is basically about that. It's very, it's very good, very good bit of music. So I think, yeah, Eric Idle for me always jumps out as music as opposed to comedy. I guess. Well, you're right. He does all the musical stuff. Mm-hmm. In well, not really. You can't. You don't have it in the life of Brian, but the meaning of life. There's a well, whole bunch of musical stuff. He wrote by, the song at uh, the end Eric, of the yeah. life of Brian. He wrote "Always Look on the Bright Side." Of oh life. yes, yeah. Bright Side of Life. Um, I went to watch the musical of Holy Grail. You know the musical version, the stage mm-hmm. version. I went to watch a professional tour of it, and I wasn't impressed i got free tickets uh, <laughs> off a student of mine who uh who worked there and i got free tickets and i was like i'll go and give this a watch and i just i just don't i don't know i feel like a lot of eric idol his, his stuff hasn't aged very well i think ruttles has aged pretty well but i think that's because it's rooted in parody of something that was also of its time so it's like well we know what that is but I don't know a lot of Eric Idle. It's like when I watched him on tour in the in the late nineties doing Nudge Nudge Wink Wink, and I was sitting there going, "This doesn't feel right." I don't. <laughs> it doesn't feel right anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's just me. With personal space and not, even though it's a male, not touching a complete stranger without permission, <laughs> even though he's just nudging him with his elbow. It's like you. You know, all that's Che. It's like, no, no, what are you doing, weirdo? Why are you touching it? Yeah. And also just even, I don't know. I mean, you know, comedy from the 60s and 70s is inherently misogynistic. A lot of Ends up and racist. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I would say a lot of British stuff, less so racist, but I think that's just because it, Although there are, there's definitely instances, don't get me wrong, but I would worry less about that element. But then maybe I'm just not looking in the right places. <laughs> well, you'll well enjoy- okay, you're a performer, you're an improviser, you're a yes. playwright, you're an actress. A little off topic, how do you feel when you watch yourself? Oh, interesting. I think because my world, the majority of my work is in teaching and teaching performance specifically. I've just kind of got used to it. Um, Specifically my voice, I teach a lot of radio. So I'm very aware of how I sound. So it doesn't really bother me, but it, it, it took me a little while. I think, I think what I do, I enjoy doing it so much. And even when I watch back, if I'm like, oh, that wasn't perfect, but I know I enjoyed doing it. So I'm going to enjoy that feeling again of enjoying it. It's the same with like we when I play roller derby, we we film our our roller derby bouts and we we have to watch those back to see what we did well and what we did wrong, you know, and learn from that. I I sometimes find that harder than watching a performance. Um, But I think that's because when you watch yourself back in a performance, you're watching yourself uh, specifically like there's other people there, whatever. But you're watching yourself, really, for the most part. Yes. Um, but when you're, you're trying, you're when you're when there's a bunch of people, you're like, I'm going to concentrate on the scene. No, I'm looking right at me. Like, what am I doing? I'm not I'm, paying attention to anybody else. Yeah, well, that's it. And I think it, I find that even worse with roller derby. It's like you've really got to try not to just watch yourself because it's it's team sport, and you know you're you're just one tiny cog. And I think going back, if we're talking about improvisation, like we film all our shows. And we watch them back. Well, I mean, we don't watch them back too much, but, you know, they're there if we want to watch them back. And that took practice to not just watch yourself and go, okay, right, I see where I am in this. And I see this whole thing. Uh, I think that's the hardest part is to to train yourself to watch the whole thing rather than just. Yeah. Yeah. 
the first bombshell I ever received by watching myself is I was in a sketch troupe and people would say, you're mouthing other people's lines oh. while they're speaking it. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. You're crazy. And the play, I'm, the, I'm there mouthing this other, I'm just mouthing the whole sketch. And <laughs> so anytime after that, I would clinch my mouth. Yeah. So I knew I was in all these other sketches. I got this scowled look on my face because my face is all clenched up. So I'm not mouthing the words. Uh, <laughs> I did uh, TV acting when I was at university and my feedback was, uh, I know, I know it and I can see it now as I'm looking myself on zoom. Uh, I have a natural smile and <laughs> When you're doing a dramatic scene and you're trying to concentrate on someone else and all you're doing is, is like, <laughs> like <laughs> and you don't even realize you're doing it. So I had to train that out of myself as well. Um, I don't know. It's, it's Well, speaking of improv, Monty Python was famously not improv. Yes. They, were, no. they, they stuck by the script. Yeah. Very little UK yeah. comedy was improvised for a very long time. Even the office, even the, the UK office is not improvised at all, all scripted. And I think in going to the Ruddles, like you said, Mick Jagger is funny. I enjoy <laughs> Paul Simon. And I, and I like the fact that they wrote the parts for them mm-hmm. and just didn't try to go in and wing it. It's like, we'll just talk about. So, so sometimes improv, improvisation, improvisation can be detrimental. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is, I'm glad that they didn't try to do this in this movie. Even though some things, and some scenes felt improvised. Like when he was in Louisiana and he's talking and this black guy says that the Ruddle stole from him and his <laughs> wife is like, he lying, he lying. <laughs> now, I, I could there see that being an in that scene. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm pretty sure there were ad-libs. I think I was under the impression that the Paul Simon and the Mick Jagger stuff was predominantly played with like improvised with because all you needed to do was, oh really well that was my impression i don't know for sure but my assumption is that it was okay. but only because all they needed to do was say i'm going to say the russells but i mean the beatles so you just talk you just tell us what actually happened <laughs> that was my impression i don't know for sure but i just say ruddles instead of beatles yeah and and, and all they had to do was agree because there was. Oh, this is why I think Mick Jagger's so brilliant because they just say, "Oh, what was the question? Something about oh, and then do you, do you remember the rules?" And then he's like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, I remember Dirk. Oh yeah." And it's just like, <laughs> all he does is agree, and the way he agrees is funny. Like we don't need any more information. He's probably thinking of the time he met John Lennon. Yeah, and, yeah. and just and just like, oh yeah, and just you know. <laughs> That was my impression. I don't know. I can't obviously say. I, I have no clue. But um, my gut feeling is that most of the Paul Simon and uh, Mick Jagger stuff was improvised. Do you think he only used Michael Palin because he didn't want to put, he didn't want this to seem like a Python project? He didn't want to have the other Pythons in it? I think he it wanted to have more... it like a standalone. That's why you used uh, Michael. Uh, well, John Cleese was busy. I think he was doing Faulty Towers at that point, wasn't he? Maybe a bit earlier than that. Oh, 78. Yeah, that would be the second series. Yeah. Yeah, so he'd have been busy. He, Eric Idle and Monty... Uh, sorry, Eric Idle and Monty Python. And Michael Palin buddied up quite a bit, I think. So I, I, it makes sense that Michael Palin would have been like, yeah, I'll just come down. I, I, I would expect the George Harrison link to have been there with Michael Palin as well, to be honest. So it might have been a combination of, oh, let's just get Michael in. He's just, he's up for anything, isn't he? Uh, I don't know where Terry Jones would have fit in doing what he does. I don't think he would have really fit. The only thing I, th- I could have seen Terry Jones doing is the John Belushi part. But then you've got John Belushi, so use John Belushi. You're asking me, where's the money? Where's the money? I mean, I don't know where the money is. I've never been good with figures, you know that. I don't know anything about math. It was never my good subject. I don't know where the money is, but if you need money, I'll give you money. But this, this really surprises me. I'm really shocked. Because I thought we had something here a lot stronger than just business. I mean, you know, I love you more than I love my own family. I do. I want to protect you. 
I want to help you. I want to protect you from the outside world. Protect you, protect you from people like me, you know. And I think I'm doing a good job. I don't know about in England, but in the States at this time, Saturday Night Live was huge. Because uh, I think 78. So this was, this was right around the time of Animal House. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like you said, if you have Belushi, you use Belushi. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, no offense to Terry Jones. Well, I guess Terry Terry Jones would not have been as recognized as John Belushi in the States at this time. No, no. However, I don't know, would have John Belushi been recognized as much as Terry Jones in England at this time? I don't think so. I mean. Yeah. So it could go either I've, way. Yeah, it's, it's it wasn't. And this is just, this is for me not even being alive in 1978, by the way. Oh, <laughs> I, I was I was born a year later, so you know. But as far as I'm aware, like Saturday Night Live's not not ever really been a big thing over here. I know about it because I lived in America, and that's pretty much when I was introduced to it. I didn't really know what it was before then. I'd heard of it, um, and I was a big comedy nerds. So if I hadn't really heard of it until I lived in America, then. I can't imagine it was big. I mean, it's bigger now because with YouTube, I have a lot of students right. who watch. Well, uh, Saturday Night Live, I don't, I don't, I don't think it would have trans because it was a lot of political humor. Yeah, and it still is. But at the yeah. time, yeah. like Richard Nixon, when it first came out, Richard Nixon, Jimmy Carter. Mm. Like I said, it's YouTube and that. But how much would an American know about English politics? And vice versa at that time, because I, I'll admit it, I'm a, I'm a Benny Hill fan, and <laughs> condemn me if you will, but I'm a Benny Hill fan. And in his earlier episodes, he he uh, he had political humor in there, and I'll admit I didn't, I didn't understand yeah. it. I didn't yeah. know who those people were. I don't know, <laughs> you know, I I didn't get the jokes. So I think that would have been the same in England for American politics at the time. Yeah, probably. I think. Again, like I was saying at the start, I think we we get a lot more American culture than you get British culture through through various means. I mean, I can't really speak for the late seventies, but um, but I would expect. I mean, one of the biggest. I mean, I did used to watch Benny Hill, by the way, but I was about six and didn't know any better. <laughs> That's about the that's about the, uh, the, <laughs> the 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 age level to watch Benny Hill. <laughs> Uh, but one of the biggest TV shows in the UK um, when I was growing up was a show called Spitting Image, which was a puppet show, but it was for adults. So all the characters were puppets, but they were all of uh, political and famous figures. Uh, and the main thing I remember from that, I used to watch it even though I was like 12 and didn't really actually probably younger than that yeah i was at primary school so i've been about eight or nine i didn't really get it but the main thing i remember is they had this puppet of margaret thatcher uh who wore a suit and tie because why not and a puppet of ronald reagan and and they would like having they, they'd set up this it's a sketch show but they'd set up this arc where it was like they were having an affair or something <laughs> and it was uh it was really <laughs> bizarre so what I knew about American politics came through these puppets on British TV. <laughs> that was about it. Uh, I, yeah, basically the only thing I knew about English politics was Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, all I knew was Robert, Ronald Reagan. That yeah. Was, and that he used to be a film star. Yeah, he used to be a cowboy. <laughs> but now, I mean, you know, it's certainly... Well, now it's we're recording this. Yeah, I mean, we're recording this, and in about uh, three weeks, I don't know when this is coming out, but while we're recording, in about three weeks, we're having an election. Yeah, and uh, here in the states, and everybody knows about Trump around the world. Yep. Uh, so it's totally, it's to <laughs> everybody knows about Trump. Oh, we do. <laughs> we're very aware. Yeah. It's uh, it's an interesting thing we're watching from over here. But then you get to watch what's going on over here now. Yes. Disaster well, that we're heading towards. <laughs> well, let's, we, wow, we've gone on. And that's another tangent we've gone on. <laughs> so 
talking about a little documentary called The Ruddles, and now we're talking about international <laughs> well, politics. Well, I mean, it was an international shared uh, film, wasn't it? So I, I yeah, yeah, it was it's fine. <laughs> Do you think, like today's twenty-year-olds or something? Do you think if they watched this, they would get it? They would know what it's Question. about because no, I think I think you need to know enough about the Beatles to to really get it. Now I watched it with with Sean, and he has he isn't a big Beatles fan, and um, he like I was sitting there having watched a load of Beatles stuff recently with footage that I was then watching the Ruttles parody, going, "Oh my god, they've nailed it! They've absolutely nailed it!" And obviously he'd not seen any of it. But then you could argue that there's people who like Weird Al who maybe haven't seen the original video of a Weird Al video and, and like still think it's amazing. But, you know. Well, uh, uh, Sean is your partner right now. Yeah. And Sean right has... Now. Well, <laughs> now. At this moment. <laughs> Sean's always, always had a problem with me because I said Moonraker was the best James Bond movie. <laughs> He would have said that he's he's not he's never he's never really blocked you on Facebook. He's never really forgiven me for saying that. <laughs> he's a huge James Bond. He's he's the he's the he's a James Bond fan, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. So he gets the 60s stuff. Like he he definitely gets that. But he enjoyed it and he enjoyed it for what it was. I don't know, because I teach 20-year-olds. Um I'd be curious to see if they'd get it. I feel like you'd need to know enough about the Beatles to really get it. Cause it's well, for, I mean, in like in jokes about it. I mean, fortunately the Beatles, if you're going to do a mockumentary about something, the, the Beatles is one to do it because they're True. just so even people who don't know music, like the beat, you mentioned the Beatles, even if they've never heard a Beatles song. <laughs> yeah. They know who, they know who the Beatles are. Yeah. I think they I don't know. I, I genuinely, I think I wouldn't recommend it to anyone who didn't say, who would say they didn't know or like the Beatles. If anyone said that, I definitely wouldn't recommend it. Because why would you? What, what are they going to get out of it? Uh, I feel like mm. you need, to, you so at least need to know a little bit about the Beatles to, to really appreciate it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now, did you get any, we're both uh, big Monkees fans as well. Yeah. The one scene where I got a monkey's vibe was you said Lauren Michaels actually uh, produces and he plays a, you know, a low life salesman. He like, you know, he wanted to put the names of the Ruddles on everything. And that sort of that like struck me as the monkeys, because when the monkeys came out, they were, a, you know, a quote unquote produced band by television. And when they were a hit, they just put their name on everything. Yeah, I don't we're. we're I mean, I know now there's a lot of Beatles, uh, Beatles paraphernalia, Beatles stuff around, but I mean, were they as marketed as big as, as that? I don't know. I mean, I mean, neither I of us were alive, around in the but, uh, <laughs> Well, my, my interpretation of it was that, yeah, that it, was, it was, it was marketed. And then like with everything to do with the Beatles, the monkeys just did it 10 times bigger and wackier. So, you know, what was mm -hmm. it? That's like the the monkey's gloves and like with their fingers, like their heads on the end. Monkey hand puppets. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. My, but I don't think there were Mickey Beatles. Yeah, I don't think there were Beatles ones of those. I don't think there might have been. <laughs> but yeah, that that's my impression is there was definitely monkey's stuff. I mean, my my mum was a, was a Beatles fan um, in the 60s and she was from Liverpool as well. And she actually has a signed photograph of the Beatles. Um, but she doesn't own anything else. And I mean, she doesn't really keep things. So maybe that, she's kept that. That's that's mine in the will. I made sure I get that. Yeah. Um, but her, her mom is a little Beatles. In bit of interesting Beatles yeah. info. Yeah, my mom's... Um, I'll probably get, get this story wrong now. I think it's her gran or her nana. Lived down the road from Ringo's mum. Ringo's mum's washing machine broke or something. So uh, she offered to do a washing for her. And then she got a signed photo. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the story, I think. 
Anyway, it's a genuine article and it's really nice and it's it's going to be mine. It is. That, that's very cool. That's a very cool story. <laughs> Before we go, is there anything that you want to promote? Oh, um, God. Well, I guess I could promote, uh, we're doing comedy sports online at the moment still. Um, Manchester is just pretty much any day now probably going to go back into a full-on lockdown because uh, it's got very bad around here. So we're uh, two shows a week at the moment online and that's at comedy well no it's not it's at youtube.com forward slash csz uk uh two shows a week wednesday and saturday 7 p.m our time so wherever you are in america you'd have to figure that out and that's that's what 1 p.m no 2 p.m it's 2 p.m eastern so if you want a, a late lunch and watch some live improv then you know you're well i will put i'll put the link in the description of this podcast oh cheers so people click on it we we haven't seen each other in person in a while uh we don't get to talk but you are uh braun you're one of my favorite people in the world so i really thank you for doing this for me and it was really good seeing you and and talking to you again yeah i had a great time thank you very much Thank you. And uh, this is it. This has been another uh, Dan Aykroyd podcast. So please check out this podcast, past podcasts, and uh, uh, check out Braun and CSC Manchester online. And if you're happy to listen, I have 11% listenership in in England. That's, what, that's what my podcast says. I do. It's uh, not so even 11%. Me. I've never even It's li- not. No, Braun, she doesn't <laughs> listen to this shit. Uh, uh, <laughs> But if you are in England and once all this COVID crap is gone, go see uh, go see CSE Manchester. I know Braun. I know quite a bit of the people on the team. Not only are they funny, they're some of the best people in the world. And I had a blast when I was over to work with them. Hopefully it'll happen again in the future. Hope so. All right. Thanks a lot, everybody. Bye-bye. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. That should help people find this podcast. And no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I'm standing on the crossing where the Ruttles legend ended. Here it was that the prefab four, Dirk, Nasty, Stig, and Barry... The Ruttles, the singing phenomena who made the 60s what they are today. Here it was that indeed they were just. Mick, why do you think the Ruttles broke up? Why do I think they did? Why did the Ruttles break up? Women. Just women. Getting in the way. Cherchelo fan, you know. Do you think they'll ever get back together again? I hope not. <laughs>